This is the Copper Crab Podcast. I am Cheney Crab. I am Naveen Copperweiss. You can watch our podcast live on Twitch every single Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time at twitch.tv slash coppercrab. If you want to leave us a voicemail, we'll play it on the podcast. You can call into 615-314-5053. That's one way to ask questions. Also, you can email us at coppercrabpodcast at gmail.com. Ask a question in our Discord, or we will take your question usually every Tuesday at 7.30 in our Twitch chat. If you would like to buy Entheos merch, which you can see both Naveen and I are sporting Entheos merch. That's our band. Always I am reppin'. the vocalist. Always Naveen reppin'. plays drums, writes all the music. You can go to www.entheosstore.com. We just put out a new song. We just put out a remix last week. It's a drum core remix of our song, I Am The Void. If you guys haven't checked that out, you can find it on Spotify. It's on YouTube, anywhere you want to listen to your music. But that's where I listen, Apple Music, yeah. whatever. Check I'd it out on Spotify you. and YouTube, actually. Yeah, check and it out on both. And drop a comment on the YouTube. That would help us out. Yeah, actually do go and do that. Like because, it. Yeah, like it. Anything you can do, go and play it like 20 times on mute with it and have no idea that it's playing. <laughs> Is it that how it works? Us. Is there someone out there that knows that? Can you play a song 20 times and it counts as 20 plays? I believe so. Why would I not? think that's the TikTok thing. I think they count. TikTok counts every single thing. Yeah, every single play. But I think on Instagram, when you watch it once on your phone, they know that you watched it already. And that's that. You're out of here. Instagram? I think so. What you're saying is not true. Well I, well, I don't know about the replays, but you can go back and watch it and it will count for more more plays. Really? Yeah. Shit, I didn't know that. Really? I thought it was just one play per person. No. Mm-mm. All right, well, that settles that. Yeah, <laughs> Anyways, anyway, if you want to yeah. get a Copper Crab, Copper Crab merch, like one of these coffee cups that we're drinking out of right now then go to www.coppercrab.bigcartel.com also in the entheos merch store we just restocked pink hoodies uh and drip tees are restocked those are two of our best sellers so if you don't have one you're kind of missing out and i would go and, and the grab pink one. hoodie has been a hit in 2023 and it's already shaping up to be an even bigger hit in 2024 <laughs> yeah the pink honey so man, it's still the, in that's the one it's still in it hasn't gone out yeah and we are going to sell those fuckers until no one wants to wear them you know anymore. what else never goes out of style a black t-shirt yeah there you it go it never goes out of style yep. a black band t-shirt i mean if your uncle marv has a t-shirt collection he's like oh i went to see journey in the night in 1971 and i have a, a journey shirt from that show it's in my closet your ears should immediately be perking up and you're like Uncle Marv or Merv, whatever your name was. You can get $1,000 from that out of that shirt right now because it has not gone out of style. That's in true. fact, it's yeah. even more in style than it was back then. That's right. So what Cheney's trying to say <laughs> is you can go buy a shirt. From us. And well, it's a solid investment. It's a solid it's investment. It's a solid investment. It, when you drive it off the parking lot, it increases in value. It does. It's the so, opposite of a car. It's a way better deal. Everybody wins. So speaking Everybody of that, wins here. speaking of that, our friends in Gorod and Wormhole, we don't know half, but also them. Their shows got canceled last night and tonight. Last night was in Knoxville, I believe, or was it Chattanooga? One of those two. Yeah, not, one was in Knoxville, and then tonight was supposed to be in Nashville. Nashville. That's the reason why we were bringing this up is because we were going to have Worm on the podcast right and it was going to be a great time it's gonna be really fun it was going to be a great time we love sanjay and noni yeah those are our boys but they had to cancel the show so those guys are missing out on they're losing money right now that's what happens yeah. when you have to cancel a show you do not get your guarantee so we're talking about two nights in a row that a band has flown from france to yeah. uh miss two shows and that can that can hurt you significantly financially on a tour. So go and grab merch from those guys, especially this week. You can skip our shirts this week. Go and grab merch from them. I don't know they about that, actually. I don't <laughs> know right, about buy, that. Buy one from both of us. <laughs> buy one from all of us. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But please go and support those guys because they need it right now. They're losing money on these two nights because of the snowpocalypse that is happening yeah. in Tennessee. 
Yes, that's right. We are having a snowed-in hang right now. And this actually actually is reminding me of COVID, the COVID uh, lock lockdowns. Me too. Because you, you can leave here, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's kind of there's not that many people out. Right. It's kind of hard to get around. Well, a few options are limited, I guess. See, where I'm from, this is like essentially nothing. So. If you've got a truck, you can be out driving in yeah, this weather. Yeah. It's not I really guess, that big of a deal, but I guess here a car. in Tennessee they don't have as much snow. It's not it's not such a big part of the season, right? So when it does snow for a week or whatever, they just kind of people just sort of take it easy. Yeah, they just they don't have the infrastructure where we live now to deal with this because there's such little snowfall in Nashville that they don't. It doesn't make sense to invest in like huge snow plows that are only really going to come out once or twice a year. Right. It wastes a lot of money. Um, so when a snowstorm like this happens, everyone just kind of hunkers down and stays inside. And like Naveen said, it's very reminiscent of what COVID was because everyone just stayed in their house in yeah. California, especially it made me realize that people in California, there's rarely a reason to stay home. There's rarely a reason to like hunker down in your house because you don't get this kind mm. of weather really. So COVID just, yeah, same year around. COVID was like kind of a time when you just hunkered down and learned to bake and do all of that stuff. Started but a podcast. Started a podcast. Although we started ours before We're COVID. we're OG hipster yeah. podcasters. We started the podcast <laughs> and then I think it was like three weeks later, all the the COVID stuff started popping off. No, it was later than that. We started the podcast in like October. Okay. So and it was a couple it, months. I think it was like four or five months. Okay. There you go. We we're, we're, we did it before it was cool. So we were OG hipster podcasters and we actually, <laughs> we did the opposite of everyone and stopped doing a podcast during COVID. That's right. We got tired of it. <laughs> we were like, Fuck this. I don't know if we should do <laughs> Like, what are we doing? It was, but then so many people talked to us about it. Um, there were so many golden lobsters out there before they even knew that they were golden lobsters. That was the first era of the podcast who, uh, told us that the podcast meant a lot to them. So we were like, okay, maybe we're doing something that that's why we brought it back. Yep. That's why if we nobody it cared, back. I would have just said, screw it. Let's just, Oh, there's that ba- blast beat. <laughs> See, okay. That those of you sound... on YouTube, that's just a random blast beat. We can't figure it out. We, <laughs> we don't know what's going on. We there. don't know. We're, we think we're haunted by the ghost of blast beats yeah. past. It sounds great. It's a great sounding blast beat. Whoever did that. Oh, okay. We were talking about this in the post show that we have a clip that went viral on Instagram. Yeah, we did. I'm considering it to be viral. I'm considering it to be viral it's over a hundred thousand plays 100. and we don't get that kind of plays on clips around no, here. No, we don't. These parts. And so what we were saying is that we cut the clip out of context. So it was about drum triggers. I don't think it was out of context as much as it was. We took out the nuance. We took, we took out, took the, out the disclaimers. You're right. And we made it a more polarizing statement. Right. Because right. the original statement that I made was that drum triggers, depending on your band. Like if you're a heavy band, it's going to make a lot more sense to have it. And then you kind of explained why. Right. Well, I don't even know if I explained why, which now I'll explain right. why. So if you're a band that has for instance, doubles, which is a technique that Naveen uses in our newer music, especially those are those they don't. I mean, is there anyone who's doing doubles who isn't going to use a trigger? Um, I think like one person does. Okay, man. Shout out <laughs> to that person. Virgil Donati does, but it's not right, the same thing. Virgil. It's a different thing. It's not like the death metal double. So what I was speaking about was that there is a certain kind of heavy band where you really need to use triggers there's a certain kind of heavy band of course where you shouldn't use triggers you don't want to see mastodon or a band like that with triggers so anyway that's what i said we cut it out to make it seem like way more polarizing than that and yeah. what do you know people still care about the trigger debate what do you know it was in awesome. the year 2024 we stoked the fire we did it and i was sitting there with the popcorn laughing all the way it was great i loved it i wish we could have more uh clips like that so that goes to show you when you're seeing <laughs> clips on Instagram, when you're scrolling by stuff, you know, if a, a podcaster or a content, someone who does interviews, content creator of any kind, really, they're cutting up 
their clips to gain more traction. So when you have a clip that that causes people to comment one way or another, which I noticed more than ever on this post that people were making like paragraph long explanations of why you should or shouldn't use triggers. So it was like not only getting a bunch of comments, but getting a bunch of really long thoughtful comments about people who truly cared about this. So when you do, people are trying to get that kind of reaction out of people when they're posting to a platform like TikTok or Instagram because that drives up the engagement. And what does that do? It leads more people to your page or to your podcast. Yep. So just keep that, keep in, that mind. in mind. Keep that PSA in mind. The next time you're scrolling. A KCP PSA for you guys. KCP PSA. Breaking news. Don't, don't uh, care about it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> just don't care. But anyway, we were thinking that it would be funny to make a clip in the total opposite direction. Yeah. And that would probably do about equally as well on the I don't know. I think being pro trigger is the more uh villain villainous t- take. Yeah. What I did notice <laughs> is that it's a lot of like old more old school type people who don't want to use triggers, which I kind of already knew that anyway. But also that there are so many people who just still don't understand how triggers are used at all or what they do. So right. do you want to explain that for people? Oh, what that'll do be triggers really exciting, do? explaining what they do. What do they, can you put it in real quick layman's terms? Uh, yeah. What so you do have triggers a, do? You have a bass drum. When you hit it, it's kind of, it's a big drum. Mm-hmm. So the sounds don't, um, the transients aren't as distinct, meaning this, each hit is not going to be very distinct. If, if you're going really fast, like on a tighter drum, yeah. it's going to be faster. It's going to come through quicker. Snare drum. So what you do is you put a trigger, which is just, uh, it just makes like a clicking sound, which sends that to a drum module computer thing. And that replaces that click trigger hit with a kick drum sample. Right. And that's it. So that's all it does. Things that you can do with a trigger and people I noticed over and over, we're talking about the clicky sound of a trigger. In this day and age, you can choose the drum sample that is being used on your triggers so you're not necessarily is the clicky sound coming from an old module that only had like one trigger i think just typically they have a lot more high end because it's it's you're getting the same hit every single time whereas with a a kick drum you're not going to have that much attack on every single hit right the exact same way so the other thing that you can do is also do a 50 50 blend which a lot of people do and a 50-50 blend is just blending a, a, a sample with an acoustic yeah. kit. So then that avoids a lot of the clickiness, I would assume. Yeah, or get, it provides like more low end. both worlds, I guess you could say. Which, so there are all it's kinds of ways that. to maneuver this. It's not one trigger to rule them all. It's not there's one trigger sound and your drum is always going to sound like that one thing. Yeah. I've been fooled. When we saw uh, Between the Bear to Me a few months ago. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Blake, the drummer, after the show. And I was like, wow, I didn't see any mics. Are, are they like internal mics or something? And he was like, dude, I'm using triggers. There and I, I could not believe it. There you go. And it's because he has a module that has many different sounds. It's not just right. one sound. It cycles through many different ones. Right, which so is something that also another, should be mentioned, yeah. that you can do that. You can cycle... Yeah. like. When you're triggering something, it's not hitting the same exact sound on every hit. You can cycle through sounds yeah. to make it sound like it's an acoustic drum. So yeah, it, it blew my mind. I was like, wow, I, I, I've never been fooled before. Wow, I, never I was, been fooled, fooled before. Wouldn't that be a fun I've video, Naveen? We should totally do that. What is that? I mean, I don't know if we're the ones who should do that. Do that. We're not really content creators, but getting like a bunch of pro drummers, some who are super pro ki- uh, trigger, some who are super anti-trigger playing a bunch of drums and seeing if they can tell what's real and what's not yeah yeah there's an idea i thought i could but i guess i can't because i was fooled at that show there you go if anyone out there if you have a if you're a content creator and you want to do that just go ahead and shoot me credit in the the byline and i'll I'll hand it over to you these days like reacting or whatever yeah they love that drummer tries to play metallica first time hearing it so another thing that 
was just brought up in our chat, our Twitch chat, because we can access it directly during the show. If you are not listening on Twitch, that's a good reason to go and listen on Twitch. Jake Scrappile brought up that we should talk about whether like whether we're pro or anti backing tracks or what backing track or if backing tracks are, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm actually sort of anti backing tracks, even though we use them. I think it's pretty whack. I, I would prefer to not do it at all to TBH. What I would actually prefer, if we had the money, we would have way more than five people on stage playing. Yeah. And Navina and I have talked about this a million times. Have enough people to just do all the stuff. If it is possible, when the yeah. day comes, I, we, it's going to be possible one day, and we will just hire extra players to come with us and we'll play with more than two guitar players a bassist and a drummer yeah. and it'll and a vocalist it'll be like a full band experience because that to me is what i want to do yeah. that that to me is how to truly achieve like seeing a band in a live setting like that's what i want to do and i think for us though i mean we so we make we oh, maybe maybe we Jake didn't bring it up. a pretty big offense and that's we have the bass on a backing track mm-hmm. So if you took that out, we wouldn't really have that much on the backing track. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of just like effects and that type of thing. Oh, it was Amber. Sorry. It's not like we have a shitload of uh, synths and stuff, you know, and it's gotten less over over time. Yeah. So I think really what would be cool is to just have, yeah, a guy maybe who could play guitar and synth and he could do some of the eerie lead shit in the background yeah 100%. do some of the synth stuff mm-hmm. kind of have like a, a multi uh instrumentalist guy back there doing all that stuff yeah that to me would be so much cooler totally and have zero backing tracks right now we're working on having backing vocals being something that's not that we're doing live because yeah. it's like you know that's the goal is as we move forward to make everything more live with that being said Backing tracks have their place. Some yeah, of course. If you can't afford a full band, like, uh, you know, yeah. we can't bring a six-person band on tour. Right. We just can't do it. We don't have the room in our van. We don't, you know, that's just not an option for yeah, us. Yeah, it costs right extra money to bring yeah, an extra to person. To pay people yeah, and you all have this to stuff. pay people. So, of course, I, I don't personally care. If, whatever you have to do to make the show happen, do it. That's I'm the guy who's gone on tour by myself playing drums to electronic music. Yeah. You know, so I obviously don't care. It's a sound. Uh, that's how I feel too. I think that whatever way you need to use to get your music across in a live environment, do it. Yeah. Play live. Who cares? If you want to play live, go and do it. I don't give a shit. I've seen a guy, I've seen a one man band who did vocals too. It's like. I like going to see DJs. Yeah. They don't play anything. That essentially they is just a backing a track. Bu- a couple buttons. Yeah. Like, that's just a backing it's, track. It's been no, I'm, it's no less enjoyable for me. 100%. So I don't think it matters at all. But for me personally, it would just be cool to get to a stage where we don't need the backing tracks at all. Exactly. I agree with you 100%. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're getting really bent out of shape on that yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first things first, we got to get a fucking bass player. Yeah, that's... so. Live bass. But yeah, I mean, and another another thing that people don't, well, you, you do realize this when you're in a band, but each person that you bring on tour has to be someone that you is vibing with the crew. Mm-hmm. And then if you're in our situation in a van, we have two crew people and four band people. So right. it's already six people. Yes. In our, and the way our van is set up, Coco, Coco can't handle seven people. It's completely uncomfortable. It sucks. No. Six people is like totally fine, in my opinion. It works great. Seven, not so much. Yeah, seven is where it get it pushes it over the edge a bit. Yeah. It's a little Coco don't play that. Coco don't play that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And uh, you know, it's just things because you think about those things. So think about all the bands you love and consider these things, you know, when you're asking them why don't you do this with this other person and this extra person it does cost money to bring people on tour so you always have to like before we do a tour we sit down and do a budget we know exactly the way that you bring on crew 
is that you agree with them how much you're going to pay them before a tour. So you have it all laid out. Usually we kind of do it by the day. So we pay by the day. Um, it just depends on who you are, your band, how you do it. Um, but you kind of, you figure out a budget, you know how much you're going to pay everyone. You come up with a budget and you're like, can we afford this budget? Yeah. And you make it so that you can, whatever yeah, or, you're choosing to bring, you can afford. Yeah. Or in the beginning, you have to find people that are just homies totally. that are down. Totally. Right. Because yes. or, let's face it, we're not going to crack a sick budget on the first tour we did. I mean, those earlier tours we did, it was just kind of like, can you come with us? We'll yeah. pay you what we can. Yeah. The and then we found people who were wanting to tour. Mike Torres. Yeah. He wanted to get his foot in the door as a sound guy. Right. Right. He, so, no, he didn't really know many other bands. So you guys, if you do want a job in the music industry, if your dream is to be a crew person or even becoming a band member, because I will tell you that sometimes crew people become band members. It works out a million ways. Yeah. Um, you find a band that you like that's touring. If you really can, if you really can do this, you can road dog it for a month for free for close to nothing. Go and get out there with a band. And all you have to do is prove yourself on one or two tours. And then you're in the game. Yeah. I promise you that will happen because there is, especially after COVID so many crew members retired from the game. Like they found jobs at home or, you know, people grow out of, being um like a a crew member just because that to me is the most demanding job that you can get in the touring industry and if you are interested in it at all why, why is it more demanding than being in a band it's de it's more demanding because you have to be on tour constantly throughout the year if you want to tour all if you if you want that to be your main job like band members can they go on tour but they can go home and still make money off of the band. A crew member isn't like reaping the benefit of that. They're only getting paid while they're on tour. So that to me, if you want to do that full time, it's the most demanding thing that you can take on. on and I think road. another thing that they have happened is they don't want to say no. Yeah. Because if they say no, the band might not hit them up again. Right. And they work for multiple bands. That's true. So a million things can happen that way. There's a movie on Amazon prime that's called, I think roadie. I couldn't watch it. It hits too close to home. It hits dude. really close no, to home. I'm just kidding. We should watch it. We did watch it. No, we did. I didn't watch it. Yeah. Oh, we watched one about touring. But anyway, okay. it's a, <laughs> it is roadie. But there's another one. I think there are two about uh, being roadies. One, the one that we watched was about like roading in big arenas for like arena bands being a crew member. But you can get a feel for what it's like. You know, you get to a venue, you're the one to set up. You, if you do right. merch, you have to be in there before everyone. Oh yeah, that one that you're talking about. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but there's another one we were looking at the other night. Right. That was yeah, yeah. My <laughs> bad, my bad. But uh, so yeah, it's a tough life. Like, yeah. but if you want to get into the game, I know crew members who have become band members. So, you know, and a lot of crew members work their way up real quick. Absolutely. All you have to do is be a pretty decent human and want to work. That's true. I mean, that's, we, that's legit. It. We know we can name a few crew members right off the top of my head. Robbie Brown, yeah. who has done sound for us a few times, yeah, started off working. I think his first tour was with like Last Chance to Reason, yeah, and now he works for Struggle Jennings, opening in arenas for for Jelly Roll. He's been on those tours. Uh, Billy O, who also started off working for the Contortionist, now works for the Offspring. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that you don't need to know what you're doing, but I think at first, yeah, it's more important that you want to do it, and uh, you know, you're a good guy to be around. Totally, that's like the most important thing. Thaddeus, I met yeah. Thaddeus years ago, maybe 13 years ago when he was on tour with Oceano, and now he works for huge like arena artists. Yeah. So, if you're if you if you want to do that and you're a good worker, you can get in. And yep. it, you can work your way up because I know that it sounds like none of these worlds are connected that like the offspring and pop artists and Oceano are so far off from each other. But the touring world is a small world. Yeah. And I think it sounds we're talking about stuff that's a little further down the line. Yeah. But I think most bands and we were on this level for quite a long time. 
you're just you just got to do what you got to do to make it happen Mm -hmm. and that's really why we're talking about the backing tracks and all that shit like yeah you can't have a bass player well just fucking put it on on a backing track yeah you don't have a the slipknot guy who does the scratches on a cdj or whatever put that on a backing track you know what i mean (laughs) just put that it doesn't matter man like we're gonna do whatever we have to to go play the freaking shows yeah play the shows and that's like that is more important than all this big time stuff shout out aviations for that raid and also bm woody woo we have we did a about a two-week tour with oceano like a week or a year and a half ago that was awesome we've actually toured with oceano our very first tour was with oceano and veil of maya and revocation and gift giver was someone else on that tour i don't think so but yeah, we have toured with them. We love them. That was awesome. Oceano, Villamaya. Revo. Revocation. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you can get into this if that's what you dream of doing. But you got to have that opening. Got to have that shot. You got to have the shot. So it could be you're going to go on tour with one of the smaller bands that's mm-hmm. opening up for a bigger band. Yeah. And you want to just get your foot in the door and do a really good job and sort of make friends with all the other bands on tour. If you're a good dude and you do good work, you're going to go on You'll go far. Yeah. You'll go far. I mean, the people who work for us right now, Shannon, who does merch for us, we know Shannon because she was driving for Within Destruction on another tour go. that we did. I believe that was her first tour. One of her first. And now she tours, she drives for Psychroptic. She does merch for us. She has a job in the in the industry. Harrison does lights for us. Harrison, dude. Getting yeah. in there. You know, Robbie Brown, we met him. He did uh, sound for us on Lorna Shore. We met Robbie because he was on tour with the contortionist when we toured with him. If you're a good worker, if you do good work, people really take notice of it. So, And what's great about being a crew guy is you don't have to worry about all the bull that exists being in the band. That's also, you can disconnect (laughs) from that aspect of it. You can just be like, I I don't care. I'm going home. See you later. I'll take my day rate. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. But uh, on this episode, we wanted to take the opportunity to do some questions. And oh, I yeah. Think Shannon it's about... works for Interloper as well. There you go. Oh, there you go. There you go. There we go. There you go. Chen, uh, you want to hit us off to some of these qu- Yes, Q&As? all right. We have some cues. We got some cues. And you gave us some cues. We have some A's. All right. The first one is from Lycan Lord. What makes a record overproduced? Um... Wow. Okay. So overproduced is a term that I don't use. Uh, And the reason I don't use it is because that's just, they're producing it the way they want it to sound. Yeah. But I think what it refers to is doing too much in the way of studio production to the music to where it doesn't really sound like a band anymore. To me, it's just if I think something is overproduced, then it's produced past a past a point of being appropriate for the kind of music that it is. Yeah, I just I know I I'm familiar with that term. I have been for a long time. Yeah, but the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is stuff can be music is oftentimes extremely produced, but it's just meant to sound a certain way. Right. So really what you're saying is you just don't like that type of production. You don't like the production. That's like really the, the big, I mean, would you call, I don't know, some, I'm trying to is Metallica metal Black album. album overproduced? Well, I think some people would say it's overproduced. I mean, I don't think so. I think the, the recording sounds pretty raw and, and um, aggressive and really good. Right. I right. Th- but it, it's, what I'm saying is it's not always obvious mm-hmm. all the work that has gone into an album to make it sound a certain way. Yeah. So really when something does sound overproduced, I think it is kind of like I said, it's produced past the point of being appropriate because oftentimes records that are hailed as being the greatest production of all time are super produced records, but they aren't over, they aren't in a, produced so much that they're inappropriate for the style of music okay that's a really that's a probably better way that i'm explaining it so 
when do I, when have I actually thought a record is overproduced? I don't really know because usually I'm just like, well, that's what they were going for. Yeah. And I would say there are certain type of production that I'm kind of just tired of hearing. I'm personally tired of hearing productions that don't sound really realistic. Yeah. That sound hyperly that like this, um, perfect version of what you wish it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of tired of hearing that. But that doesn't mean that I think they overly produced it. I think that just means that I'm not really vibing with how they want their record to sound. Yeah, and I also think that different styles of production f can alter like the same music. For instance, a lot of the let's say let's use Marissa Nadler as an example. Marissa Nadler, it's some of her music. It's just like guitar voice. If that was super produced, because what production actually means, it's not that it's like, okay, what it would mean to overproduce that is to take it into a studio, add way too many layers, make it way too plastic. And that would just really make what she does into a different genre than, yeah. than acoustic, like singer songwriter type stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you produced her songs in a different way, then you might end up with like a Tuvlo song or a Tovlo song, or like a Sia song that's like pop, polished pop production. Mm. So it's still the same song, but now it's a pop song. Right. You I know mean, what I mean? Yeah. So different still, styles yeah. of production can, can change genres, but when something is like overproduced, yeah, I agree with you. It's like, it, it just means I don't like the style of the production. Like usually I don't like fake drums on stuff, but... Sometimes you can fool me and I'm down for the fake drums. Like yeah. it just depends on if it serves the music. I guess it's just a term that I probably wouldn't use because I would just talk more specifically about the production. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't like that they have a million symphonic backing layers on the thing. Right. I don't like that, you know, or, or go the other way. Maybe it's the way they produce the snare. I don't like it. You yeah. Know, so I'd be more specific in what I talk about yeah. just by saying, a blank, oh, it's overly produced. It's like, well, what does that mean? You want to hear like a four track recorder, like a, you know? Right. Because no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear uh, uh, an SM58 put down in the middle of their practice room mm -hmm. and fucking recorded onto and a karaoke that, tape machine. That's what it means to not be produced. But even that is a type of production. That's true. Right. That you're going for. That's true. Some like grind band might be super stoked on that and put yeah. it up on Bandcamp or whatever. They want it to sound like that. They want That's it to sound like that. That's their type of production. So the answer to that, I guess, is that it just depends on what you're going for. I don't know if something can be overproduced. Yeah, I agree. There we go. Overproduction, it's all in your head, man. It's just, does it serve what you are listening to or not? Is it to your taste? There's room in the entire world. Some people sit and listen to a drone, just one drone note in the back of their head for like, that's their music, <laughs> you know? And then some people listen to technical symphonic symphony. I don't know. Yeah. There's room for all sound and music in the world. Doesn't do, mean that we do all have to like all do. of it. That doesn't mean we don't have to like it all of it, and we're probably not going to. Yeah. If you're honest with yourself, you don't like everything, but you can find things to like about everything if you try. True. All right. Next question. True that. Argos has two questions, which are both pretty damn good questions. Question one: Following up on Naveen's comments from a recent podcast, what musicality things have you learned from Evan Brewer? You mentioned learning a lot from him. Very cool. Uh, Evan taught me the basics of music theory. So just he really taught me, okay, here's how music theory works. It's all based on uh, uh, the major scale. And what the numbers mean is they're the intervals of that scale. And when one's sharp or flat, you'd say, you know, flat three, that's a minor scale. He taught me that. I didn't know that before I met him. And so he taught me that. He introduced me to uh, this, the guitar grimoire books, which I used a, a lot and still do, which just are basically like scale encyclopedias. That would be um, the most major thing that comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, Evan 
knows a lot about music. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons we should have Evan on the podcast. I mean, there are numerous reasons, but one reason he, the high school that he went to, from what I understand, like he went to a music high school or in high school. I don't know exactly. He's told me before, so I'm probably getting some of it wrong, but it's like a lot of what he was doing in high school was like being in, do you know more about this? No, I don't. I, I okay. know about as much as you do. Yeah. I think it was more like a high school for like artists. Yeah. He was in like an artist's yeah. high school. Mm-hmm. and where he could learn about music and spend his time doing that yeah he he knows a lot about music yeah definitely and uh yeah just sort of exposing me to that sort of mindset because i was just caveman before that like <laughs> make it sound cool i don't know which i think is good i think it's good that i'm not overly musical i think people can fall into a trap there i do too i think and they don't want to take any risks anymore yeah i think that the learning in a weird way, learning everything that you can about something can make the the walls of limitation close in on you a little bit because you maybe start to believe that everything should exist within those parameters. Yeah. But the real um, thing behind art, I think, should always be self-expression. Yeah. It should always... It, it shouldn't be completely reliant on all of the rules that exist. One of the best parts about it is that there are a bunch of rules that you can break. So, But you got to know the rules to break. You got to know the rules to break them. Yeah. So. 100%. Okay. The second question. All right. We're having a lot of good stuff here. From Argos was, how do tours happen? Does the label always put them together? Or do you instead use networking slash connections or homies to get you on the bill? Do you ever make other bands offers to put you on bills? Um, so I'll start with the last part. O- opening bands don't ever put offers to bigger bands to put them on tour. That's not a thing. No, it's the opposite. Yeah. And um, I would say all the above. It rarely comes from a label, but I'm sure it's happened where a label has had some influence on one of the bigger bands to take out one of their smaller bands? Of course, or sometimes the label will put together like the 50th anniversary of the label. Yeah. Uh, but so every band who is touring. So I was thinking about this question earlier and actually the first person who worked for us was a booking agent. So if you're getting on tours, chances are you have a booking agent. We have a booking agent and most bands you can think of have a booking agent. Maybe their booking agent is in their band That's really rare. So we all have a booking agent, right? Covering all the bases here. Um, Booking agents will, there is a like master list of tours that are coming down the pipe. So there will be a headlining band, right? The headlining band usually has a budget of the package that they can put together. So you have a budget of how much money you can spend on the bands that open for you. And the headlining band may have some ideas of the bands that they would like to put on their headlining tour. And in that case, they'll shoot out offers to those bands. Those bands can either accept or deny. That can be based on uh, networking, I guess. I, I don't know if I would call it that. But the, the reason a headliner would reach out to you to take you on tour is because they like you. They know you. They love your band. They want to take you on tour. There are all kinds of reasons. Any reason you can think of. Yeah. Um, so they'll shoot out offers people will either accept or deny those offers. That's one way. Sometimes a headliner is has an idea for maybe the direct support that they're taking out, but they have no idea who the other bands are that they should take out on tour. And in that case, they will accept like um, suggestions from booking agents. So their booking agent will reach out to all of the other booking agents in the world and say, hey, we're looking for a band in this range to put on this tour, a band who would maybe play a two out of five opening for these two bands. Can you, is there anyone you have in mind? So your booking agent will throw you over to the headlining band or vice versa. If you're the headlining band, your booking agent will receive those bands. And then you go through, you pick out some bands, you put a tour together. And that's usually how it works. Some bands are not available for certain tours. Keep in mind there are, a thousand trillion tours going on at any given time. Some tours are booked 
for a year in advance. Some tours are booked two years in advance. Some tours you don't know about until three months in advance. Sometimes a band drops off of a tour who you thought you were going on tour with and they're replaced two weeks before the tour happens. Usually they get replaced before the announcement of the tour. Sometimes the tour is booked and then the headliner drops off to go do something else yep. and the tour falls apart. And then the tour falls apart. But yeah, I mean, the way you're going to get on a tour, a big way is if your band is doing really well, Yeah. then people are going to want to take you on tour. Absolutely. And that's really, um, I'd say the main way that bands get on tour, they, the bigger bands solicit the smaller booking agents like you said, we're looking for a smaller band to open or whatever. And they're probably just going to pick the one who seems to be the biggest. Yeah. How they determine that, that, I'm not exactly sure. It's going to be looking at all their numbers online and all that stuff. Yeah, and by and numbers. Really it. So they're going to look at, it's not simply Spotify plays, but Spotify plays do uh, play a role in that. Sometimes bands that have way more Spotify plays than another band will play way below another band. It depends on... You know, YouTube plays. Do you have albums out? How many copies have your albums sold? How many followers do you have on each platform? What's your social media presence? What's the, you know, all of these things play a part in whether, where you're put at on a tour package and how much money you can get to be on a tour and whether or not you get tours in the first place. But I really think that people um, stress the importance of touring a little too much. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't you think that, Cheney? I think that it can be stressed a little too yeah. much, yes. I think in the beginning, bands really want to go on tour and right. doing it. Uh, it's kind of like better to not... I, I would say it's better to build up your project as big as you can at home than when you go on tour, it's going to be it's gonna be even better when you do go on tour. Well, I think you're setting yourself up for a much... It depends on what your goals are with touring. That's true. If you want to just go have fun with the boys... Then go have fun. Do, yeah, just get on tour. Do it, but which is really fun. If your goal is to be a career band, to have a career, then you have to be a little more picky, choosy with the tours that you take. You have to see if, is this a tour that will push the needle for us? Is this a tour that will push things forward? Or are we going to lose money on this tour and we're just doing it because we want to go hang out? Could we be doing something more effective with our time at home? Should we be writing an album? Should we be, you know, there are a lot of things that you have to take into account. And I agree with you. Sometimes there can be a lot of emphasis on like touring nonstop. The other thing to take into account, if you're touring with five people nonstop, you're going to start to wear on each other. It's going to start to wear on your home life. You have to uh, be aware of all of these things. You know, it's, it's going to get sick of these guys. Yeah, you just you have to maintain <laughs> your sanity. If you want to make a yeah. career out of it and not burn yourself out, your sanity is the most important thing. Like you do have to have um you do have to keep that in mind. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a marathon, not a, a sprint. A wise or wiser person than myself uh told me that. A very wise man. But yeah, I would say get out there, meet people. And make great music. But the thing is, for me, my mindset has always been to make music that I think is cool. Yeah. And meet people that I actually want to be friends with. Totally. So I'm not one of these people. I know tons of people. And they're all really cool. Mm -hmm. And I don't think of them as somebody who could do something for me. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not networking, quote unquote, to get something out of somebody i'm actually out there i'm a genuine person who's trying to make friends yeah because i think that enhances my life and then it just so happens that yeah i make music too so it aligns to where sometimes we play music together i think that's the most important thing i don't like going into things with the thought of oh i'm gonna go network at this that's not the way to go. totally not the way to go i mean people can see through that and also it's not it's just not a genuine way to be like networking I mean it's not even really a thing that works I think that what you should do is try to forge friendships because you should you should have allies in the musical world there's so many things that I've learned through people who know what they're doing who know more about the music world than me who are in 
bands, you know, you just, you can learn a lot from each other and you can have fantastic relationships with people. Naveen and I are in a situation, it's like the people that we have a lot of stuff in common with are people who love music and who play music and have thoughts on music. And it's like making friends with those people is far more important to me than, uh, networking like networking shouldn't be how you look at anything but with friendships you know you never know where those can go but don't don't approach it in that way yeah i, would I mean say. even there'll be a time when you're not in a band anymore yeah and you still want to have those friends you yeah. don't want those yeah. relationships to go away just because you're networking the whole time like that's exactly. not exactly i've been in and out of bands and i've but i've still maintained a lot of friends through all that absolutely time. and I think it's important to realize that the things that make our life better and make a good life isn't being famous is not one of those things. No. So although we are striving to grow the band or business or whatever you that you do, and that's great, that's cool. We we have to do that to eat. The things that are going to actually enrich our lives are having me- meaningful relationships, and doing work that we feel is good. Absolutely. I don't Boom, there you go. I think that that is a key to living a great life. Having great relationships. There's nothing better to me than having a bunch of friends. Like yeah. or just having friends who we can hang out with who and Nashville's becoming this place where a bunch of our friends live and it's so cool to be able to hang out all the time and talk about life and things we love with people who we love. That's really the most important thing. And a lot of them we do work with in some capacity, Absolutely. right? I mean, we do, Absolutely. we, Mark's our really good friend. We record with him. Evan is awesome. He plays on our stuff. I mean, yeah. Harrison is our friend that we met through music. Yeah. But now he kind of comes on tour and works for the band. I mean, but I don't look at people from the work side first. You know, I'm looking at it from, I just want to be friends. Yeah. And then we work Net- together. Networking is a very NAM term to me. Yeah. Dude, I'm going to go network. I'm going to go. Uh. So don't be networking with me. <laughs> don't be networking, but we'll be friending. That's for sure. Net friending. Net friending. I'm trying to net a bunch <clears throat> of friends. Because networking kind of implies that you're not, you're only going to be friends with people that are, can do something for you. Yeah. Right. right. But I, I don't feel like we're like that. Maybe we're harping. Although I get all my friends to do stuff for me all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, what was that? So that question, networking, connections, homies. Yeah, it's really homies. That would be it. But homies. it's also connections. To I'm not going to lie to you guys. <laughs> yeah. There are some tours that we've done because our manager manages another band on that tour. Yeah, 100%. That's, that is Yep. being completely honest with you guys. So it's really Some about, it it's really trying to line up all those things, trying to stack the, f- stack the odds in your favor. You know, what's not the very heart of that though, making music that you love. That is where it all begins. Making something that you're proud of doing it for the, the purpose of being an artist. Yeah. And I think that everything else comes from everything else it all grows from that because you're coming from a genuine place. If you don't like playing music, don't play music. Yeah. You know, do things that you love, be around people that you love. The rest of it all comes along with it. There's way better ways to make money than play music. Yeah, dude, go be a fucking mechanical engineer, dude. You're going to make like be a nurse trillions of dollars. I was thinking engineer. Yeah. So, you know, we talk a lot about, whether or not you can live off of music and all these things. And I was thinking that this is one of the careers that takes the longest specifically like being in, being in music, being in like progressive death metal, progressive metal, like we play. It's one of the careers that takes the longest to, you know, get to a point where it can actually be a, a thing that you rely on monetarily. If you go to college, how long does it take to get like a degree being like a, doing computer programming I, I have no idea maybe how would i know i that? don't know even if it takes eight <laughs> years <laughs> you know you can learn it in uh, eight years get a job make a shit little money on well, that's still a pretty long time true all right maybe i have time. no point i think most businesses two are to gonna, four years gonna take harrison knows see you can walk yeah. out of school in two to four years have a that job doesn't mean where you're, you're gonna making, have a job though yeah i don't know true 
All jobs take time. They take time. Man. There we go. It all takes time. All right. Another question. How far are we into this podcast? We are exactly no less than 49 <laughs> minutes. Okay. We still have another. Okay. Will is stoned. Another question for the pod. So we must have a different question. Oh, any news on the time will take us all part two drum playthrough. Mm. Okay. So drum playthrough is filmed and also mixed by yours truly this time. Damn. So I asked uh, Meinl if I could mix it. Not because I have any problems with Steve's mixing. He's a really sick engineer. He did the last video. Um, I kind of just wanted to give it a try. You know, I mix a lot of stuff here at the house on my playthroughs and my videos. And uh, I'm trying to do more of that kind of work. So I, I mixed it and it sounds pretty freaking pretty awesome. Pretty stoked on it. All right, so when's it coming out? Uh, I don't know when it's coming out. All right, but no it is news. done. There is a mix going, and uh, <laughs> Milo has a lot of content to put out. You True. Know? So I would imagine within the next month or so. There we go. Boom. Like and Lord, jobs need no time. A career takes time. There we go. Yeah. Career yeah. takes time, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. True that. Okay. So it's no different from being in a band. It's no different from anything else. That's true. Maybe I spoke and too soon like on that. You gotta like what you do. But you being in a band like is, is worse because you get a lot. I don't know if it's worse. I just shit think on that more. it takes a lot of time. Yeah. You know, it takes time. Will is stoned. Another question for the pod. Is there anywhere I can hear Naveen's solo drum set from that Brooklyn show? Uh, okay. Another thing I'm working on. All right. Everything's being worked yeah. on. So that uh, <laughs> that is actually going to be put out next week. Really? Yeah. Oh, awesome. That's great news. Yeah. So we're working on that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna mix it, but it's it's a lot less. It's not like the minor one where I have like an acoustic drum. It's it's just it's a lot more um, kind of already done. So I am gonna oversee the audio on that one. Yeah, and then it's gonna be put out. Uh, I believe at the end of this week or next week, one of the two. There we go. Mike and Caputo said, "Oh, are you are you? Do you stop them?" That's it. Oh, sorry. Mike Caputo said, shout out to Meinl being the only symbol company that I've seen that actually cares about making content and promoting their artists. Yeah. And beyond that, they are a huge metal supporting symbol company. 100. So if you go to their YouTube right now and just take a look through their videos, it's like a big majority metal and death metal at that. That's And I don't see hardly any other companies supporting underground metal the way that Meinl does. And I say that to them actually every time I every time I go shoot there I'm like you guys are freaking awesome for doing this stuff. That's truly awesome. And if you guys do not already follow Minel, it's the page totally, on Instagram, yeah. the YouTube. It's so worth following because they fly drummers out, and their drummers, like Naveen said, it's a lot of metal drummers. They're catering to mm-hmm. what you guys are listening to. They're, they have a ton of uh, metal drummers on their channel. They fly drummers out and have them play songs from their band. They have them do a bunch of other stuff. They it's make really, really cool. great videos. Yeah. And yeah it's, the, it's the quality. best channel. If you're a drummer, I mean, if you're into drumming content. It's the best channel. It's the best yeah. channel. I mean, where's the lie? By far. There's no where, lie. Where's the lie? No lie. Shout out Chris Brewer. Yeah. Uh, Drekken FPS. There's two songs you guys that I have that I love. Similar vocals and breakdown pretty much in both songs, The Interior Wilderness and Darkest Day. The taking back, taking back, if you will, parts. What's the story behind that? Continuation to what the songs are about. Uh, it's been driving me nuts and I have OCD. So I guess that oh, is yeah. a question for we me. kind of uh, did some repeat themes on the album. Yeah, so... Time will take us all. I was saying this in the pre-show, but there is an entire podcast on the album. It's just called Time Will Take Us All. We did it about a year ago. The album came out last last March. So with that being said, yes, the entire thing is a concept album. And there are parts that we, there are lyric parts. That's one of the lyrical parts that repeats itself. Another one uh, off the top of my head can be found in, in Purgatory. There's a part where I say it's a very fast, high-pitched part that's like days like death become stagnant and I begin questioning the very things I have come to be. So that part 
from in purgatory can also be found in the interior wilderness. There are parts throughout the record that repeat themselves as a repeating motif, instrumentally and lyrically. And it's all a part of the concept of time. So go back and listen to that podcast if you want to hear an entire breakdown of it. But yes, that is, it's a continuation to what the songs are about. Time will take us all. The entire record is about the concept of time, how we spend time, and the lyrics are all a part of that. Yeah, it's sort of how uh, we wanted parts to have to feel like a memory of another part, right, Chaney? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just sort of kind of have have this like human experience that you have in your mind a lot, right? When you remember something and it's kind of different than it came, and you're like, "Did I already hear this or not?" They're sort of like deja vu parts. And that was kind of like what I was going for when I was writing the music. Absolutely. I was having this one cohesive thing that is just a trip. And you feel kind of like you've lived a life when you've listened to the whole thing. Yes. And that's also the lyrical content is supposed to reflect that as well. Because when you do trip, for those of you who have done that, when you finish a trip, you feel like you've lived. Yeah, I'm a podcaster. I do mushrooms. Yeah, I'm a, hey, I'm a podcaster. I'll I'll talk about tripping on DMT on air. But when you do trip, you you feel like you've experienced a large chunk of time. Yeah. In, uh, you know, an eight hour period, however many hours you feel like you. Sometimes it feels like you've experienced years of time, and et cetera, and so on. Uh, so the album reflects that musically as well exactly and i think uh yeah i'm a podcaster <laughs> i get in ice baths after i do dm smoke dmt in my uh sauna god that's something that we should never talk about dude dmt or like, saunas yeah just any of that type of stuff <laughs> i hate it that's i love over, i do love i do love saunaing that's overproduced Cheney, <laughs> the podcast yeah i'm a podcaster i love mma yeah, all, any Joe Rogan thing, basically. <laughs> we need to go in another direction. All right, Rob McCambridge. But, you know, go back and listen to our explanation of the album. It really, lyrically, what it's about, I got in a really bad scooter accident. If you, Some of you might not even know that. Some of you might not have been there for that. I got in a really bad scooter accident right when we started recording vocals for Time Will Take Us All. It originally had a different title. Uh, when I got in the accident, it kind of flipped Uh, So I cut open my entire upper lip. My nose was knocked to the side. My lower, my chin was pulled apart from my gums. It was pretty bad. I couldn't do vocals for a while. It flipped my entire reality because I didn't know if I would be able to go back and do vocals to the same extent that I'd been doing them before. We're talking about while we were writing Time Will Take Us All. So our band had been a band for many years at this point. I've been a vocalist for many years of my life. So it made me examine um, who I was, my concept of time, whether or not I was happy with the way that I was living my life, being in a super dark place right after my accident. And it details how I felt in that time within this concept of I only have one life to live. Who am I in this life? So, yeah, that's what the album's about. Yeah. There you go. That's great. Yep. Thanks. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, oh, so cl- you ordered the album, even though I ordered two copies and never got the gray one I wanted. We are, the album is officially sold out. So shout out to all of you who have bought it on vinyl. It's yeah, uh, every vinyl that was pressed is sold. Unless maybe indie merch still has a few, but it's pretty much sold out. Um, Cause we even brought the, Oh, there could be some in the European store. Maybe. Because we left some, remember? True. There might be some there. With that being said, we are getting new pressings this year. And we're also releasing an old favorite on vinyl, which we will talk about more later in the year. Yeah. So to Rob McCambridge's question, I have crazy stage fright and social anxiety when it comes to showing others my talents. I'm a drummer for about 20 years and I've been silently practicing in my shed every other day for the last seven years. What advice or mantras can you provide to help me get out of my shell and show the world what I can do? Much love from New Zealand. 
Shout out Rob. He's been listening to our podcast forever. It's awesome. So thanks for listening, Rob. All right. Well, I would say the only way to get over doing something is to do it a lot. 100%. And uh, you just get more used to doing it. So I, I would assume that he doesn't play in public very often. So a good way to start is posting videos online, right? That's, That's what kind I was of a say. like I kind of feel like when I'm making a video that I'm performing, even though it's not live. I just like I, I get kind of nervous. Like I want it to be right, but you never really truly get over going on stage. I mean, I I think I do once we've been on stage for I mean been on tour for a couple of weeks, I'll feel comfortable and yeah. not really feel much. Yeah. But when we take a break. You know, I'm always like really nervous for the first few days. Oh, there's always, there are always always nerves. God, I hope there's nothing. But I'm usually more nervous about things breaking. Yeah. Than uh, me being able to play the songs. I would say I'm, I also like that sense of nervousness never goes away, especially right before a show. But the minute I'm on stage, it, then it goes away. But right before there are always pre-show butterflies to, to some extent. Like, you never know. You're just kind of like gearing up. It's the show. You're like, oh, here it comes. We're going to do the show. And those nerves are always going to exist. So I think it's just a matter of you got to move past that. It's moving past the nerves. And uh, just like Naveen said, starting to get out there, whether it's in front of I've on video is a great way to do it. When I first started doing videos all the time, I would get sort of nervous. And I think one of the reasons is because in videos, you can't really like correct the performance. It just is what it is. Yeah. And live, you know, it's not, if you miss a note or if you do something a little weird, it's. You just keep moving. Yeah. You yeah, just keep, keep moving. You're keeping on. You keep moving. With the video, you're like, oh, I got a really good take here. And if I screw up at the end. <laughs> I will uh, do I that. I do it again. I will do that. I've been in my head thinking about that. Like, oh my God. I, okay. I got past this part. What if I mess up this next part? I know that. And I almost get in my head more when I'm doing videos. Yeah. I would say I do get in my head more when I'm doing videos yeah. and because, you know, it's just you by yourself right there. So try doing that. All right. I'm going to keep keep it going here. Jump off of uh, another question here. Yeah. From Buns Zayton. Uh, and this is for Chaney. Can you talk about how you develop your stage performance presence style? Do you practice or rehearse? the moves quote unquote, or mm. does it just come naturally? And I know that Cheney does practice her moves <laughs> in the mirror actually every day <laughs> with a comb instead of a microphone. That's true. It's with a comb. No, no. Uh, I mean, any like stage moves that I do, they just are things that I naturally do when I'm on stage. Uh, with that being said, when you're at home, when you're practicing, you just kind of not na- that you the moves just come out because they exist. Like when I'm practicing for a show with our band, it's the same as when I'm on stage with our band. But, you know, you kind of like, I don't know. There's like a, I don't really know how to explain it any further. Like I just, it's something that, well, I think you, you definitely develop got more over time. comfortable over time on stage. That's, that so is true. So you're a true. little less timid. That is true. And when you can open up more, you can kind of, you know, rip the moves. I'll, I'll feel more confident. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I would say that that's something that can only be developed in front of a crowd yeah. because you cannot, no matter what you do, replicate what it's like to get out in front of a crowd and have a thousand people staring at you until you get out and do it or 10 people staring at you until you get out and do it. So it's about r- seven people or seven or even <laughs> one, even if it's your mom. Even if oh, it's your mom, you still want to sound sick in front of your mom. You're like, yeah. you know, so it's only something that you can do over time. And the more that you play shows, the more that you're repetitive with that, the more used to it you're going to get. But it does take practice time, over man. time. You start to realize, OK, this is something that works on stage. Here's something that I did when I was 17 or yeah, 17 or 18. I would stare at the drum kit. I would like turn around on stage and the drummer of my band was like, you cannot, you have to look at the crowd the entire time, like stop turning around on stage. So then you learn, but you can only learn how you're going to be live when you play a show live because 
in your living room, everything can be like going great. And then when you get live, you're hella timid. Yeah. So it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. <clears throat> As we've seen in the past. Yes. It's a whole different thing. Whole different ball game. That's, uh, and that's the thing about playing on tour. People come there and they might want to pass judgment on you. Right. But you know, you're like, have you, you, maybe you think you could do it, but can you, have you ever played a show when you've been sleeping in a van for 15 days right? and you're hungry or it's cold and you're sick and you still have to play anyway? That's yeah, a whole it's different. different thing. It's different. It's a whole different thing. It is. It's different to play a home show than it is to play a show, uh, in that circumstance. Yeah. So, so you never know. <clears throat> you have to just get out there and do it. Everything's different. You got to get out there and do it. And eventually you do get to a comfortable point where you're like, I can do this every night. Um, we got the hang of it. And just turn it on. And then, all right, final question of the night. Cat Dog Salad, new EP when? The new EP is coming out this year. And so are all of the songs on the new EP. But mm -hmm. in the meantime, we did last week put out a drum core remix of our song, I'm the Void that you guys should go and listen to. And I promise that it won't be long now before we start dropping songs yep. off of the EP. Yep. <clears throat> Maybe when the snow has melted. Maybe once the snow has melted. Yeah. It's too cold right now. Right now it's a little too cold. With it's too cold said, to bring that kind of heat. It's too cold. Oh, oh that's a good one, Naveen. <laughs> wow, is that a little lyrical call out? <laughs> All right. Well, with that being said... Thank you guys, as always, for hanging out. Uh, we love you so much. It means the world to us that you tune into the podcast. And we hope you have a fantastic week. And we're going to jump over to the post show. We're going to actually spin the new remix and hang out. Much love, you guys. See you guys over there. Peace. Peace.